big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name is Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today is part two on the food and feelings theme. So we're going to be focusing more on children this time. Last time being more the focus on adults. If you haven't listened to that one already, we invite you to go and listen. As you were saying in that one, it can be really important if we are tending to this in our children to have actually given ourselves some compassion and to inquire within about what's going on for us first. So you might want to go and If you haven't already listened to that, perhaps you'd like to pause this one for now and go back to that one. Mm, I think I really like how we did it in two parts because I think what we talked about in our last podcast is so vital in understanding our own story and I think our own relationship to food, what we were imprinted with, perhaps the messages we're giving our children. As always with Aware Parenting, we look at where is the child but also looking at where where, is, where are we as the adult. So, I, you know, I agree with you, Marion. Really great to go and listen to that first because then that might give you a bit more understanding about perhaps what you're bringing to the beautiful relationship with your child and food as well it can be just another piece of the puzzle. Yes, and with so much compassion. I also want to say a little um, preface. No, that's not the word. But for this whole topic, I think it's probably one of the most emotionally loaded topics of all food and feelings for, for many, many people anyway. So we would like to bathe you in unconditional love as you listen to this. Yeah, because... Uh, it's just it's so vital isn't it that we I mean we talk about compassion all the time like people probably go oh here they go again they're talking about compassion (laughs) how many seconds did they get in before they started talking about it but you just we just I just so deeply feel I know you do too we cannot heal those stories in the past and the the ways we judge ourselves if we don't have compassion and and as you say you know food is such a a powerful repression mechanism, what we talk about in aware parenting is what we do to avoid feeling. And food is just, it's so ripe. It's up there with technology and food and alcohol and all those kind of things. It just, it sits so beautifully in the place of, I don't want to feel this. So what can I do to kind of numb those feelings or distract myself, all those kind of things. So it just does require so much deep compassion for ourselves. As we've talked about in quite a few of our podcasts around repression mechanisms, you know, we're doing it to protect ourselves. We're doing it to keep ourselves safe. And so, you know, we can't address it with any judgment or criticism. We, we have to address it with compassion of, ah, I'm just, I'm doing something here. And that's such a beautiful lens to look at when it comes to our kids as well. And a lot of the questions we've got around children having repression mechanisms and using food to not make our children wrong, but to come to it to, again with compassion of, ah, there's something else going on for them and that's what they're using. So, yeah, we really invite you to listen to this with compassion for yourself and also through that, you know, looking through that lens to our children as well. Mm, and I I'm also would love to name thinking about food. I mean, for many things, they can, they can be things that we use to meet a need and they can be things that we can also use to suppress our feelings so control patterns being another name for that in aware parenting and if I think about food as well it's almost like three core things there's you know we need it to live so of course it's highly 
um, emotionally loaded around survival needs. And as we talked about last time, in terms of our lineage around food and pretty much in any ancestral line, there would have been fear around, is there enough food to eat to survive? So there's all of that emotional loading there. There is pleasure. I mean, food for so many of, of us and at certain times can be incredibly pleasurable, enjoyable and delicious and yummy. I mean, even the words that we're using. And it can be one of the most powerful ways that we use to suppress our feelings. I mean, it's incredibly powerful, uh, you know, in terms of all the different ways, the, the physical movement, the chewing, the the, the sucking, <laughs> the, having a smoothie, whatever it is, um, you know, the hormones, the chemicals, the all the things that are actually in food. So, you know, the fact that it's these three things, it can be used at any time by any of us. We can move in between these three different um, core relationships. I'm sure there are others as well. But for me, that helps to also go, of course, it's going to be emotionally laden because look at those three things, three of the biggest things we can think of. So, um if we didn't mention it before, lots of love and compassion. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, in this episode, what we, we want to address some of the questions that we got sent in. Um, so we might kind of dive into to that. I, I mean, I would really love to just start because we love sharing stories. Um, and I have shared this on our podcast before, but, you know, before I knew Aware Parenting, you know, my default when my first two children particularly were little was whenever they got upset, I just used to offer them the breast all the time. I just used to breastfeed them all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. So even probably when they didn't ask for it, but they look grumpy, I just kind of, you know, here, go have a drink. Um, I didn't, I did not how to be with feelings and that was okay. Like I was doing the best job I could. And so really what I developed, particularly with my middle child was quite a strong control pattern around when she was upset she needed something to eat or needed something sweet so when I finally weaned her when she was two years of age um, whenever she would start to get upset she would always ask for a treat and I think before I came to understand we're parenting you know I would try and distract her from it or you know I would give her treats because it would make her happy and then I began to realize as I uncovered you know sorry, as I began to discover we're parenting, oh, wow, actually, there's just a whole lot of feelings there. And so I want to just offer that as a story for parents to say, it's okay. Like, you know, we we are all doing the best job we know how. And as I look back now, for my middle daughter particularly, food or sweetness was what she wanted when she got upset. And when I started to work with that with her when she was about four, four and a half, and instead of actually giving her sweets but just sitting with her and helping her with her feelings, it actually began to shift quite easily when I addressed what was going on underneath. So I wanted to just share that as right up the top to say, you know, there's no judgment here and we're all doing the best we can. And, you know, I definitely had that experience with um, food as a control pattern with one of my kids. And then, and then it moved into something else and, you know, we all – are very clever at trying to keep ourselves safe. So we all do all these beautiful things. Um, so again, more compassion <laughs> to yourself and to your children if that's what's happening for you. Mm. So should we start with a question or did you want to say something? Share a story as well. Um, mm. But I, I'd love to say with my daughter, I also gave her a very big breastfeeding control pattern um, despite knowing about wear printing right at the beginning. And um, I also want to echo what you said is that through over a little bit later years when she was like two and three 
I really helped to, to release that. And I remember we actually played a game at one point and we, so she was about three years old, I think maybe, yeah, she would have been about three, maybe four. And we play a game where we connect in like before, before we, when we sat down to eat and we'd say, and I'd say to her, how do you feel in, in your tummy? You know, what, what feelings do you feel? And, and then as we were eating, we don't, we both, we'd both do it, not just her. And she had so much more exquisite sensitivity to to what she was actually feeling in her body than I did. So I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, it really can shift from this massive breastfeeding control plan to exquisite sensitivity. And she's 19 now and she has mm. such a healthy relationship mm. with food. It's so beautiful mm. to, to witness. Mm. So I love uh, sharing that as well, that it's whatever and whatever age we are. I mean, we shared last week, I used to have big food issues and I don't at all now. So we really can shift whatever age we are whatever mm. age our child is it's not mm. too late to shift these mm. things yeah beautiful thank you for sharing that okay let's start with a question here uh first question was how to guide young children to eat for hunger rather than feelings all right i'm going to throw that to you marion yeah. well this um the, the thing is uh, children learn that from how we respond to them and i'm sorry to say but that's right from when they're babies and i know this can be really challenging so again whatever you've done whatever age your child is now it's always possible to change that but it's really the the more we can respond accurately to what actually is going on for them so the more we understand when they're hungry to feed them and when they're upset to not feed them and to listen to their feelings. That is how they will learn because basically they internalize how we respond to them. So how we respond to them as babies and as children becomes the exact way they respond. Mm. And Aletha doesn't talk about it like this. Aletha is the founder of Aware Parenting. The way I think of it is if a baby is hungry, uh, sorry, if a baby's upset and they need to cry and perhaps they've got some birth feelings they want to tell us about, and because of our own experience, we, we think they're hungry. So perhaps they're crying a lot and it's evening and we feed them and it's four and then it's 4.30 and it's five and we keep feeding them because we think they're hungry, which of course is part of this culture. Um, the way I think of it is the sensation that they have, which is I feel upset, which might be, you know, tears in their eyes, you know, wherever the, the sadness is or the stress from, from the birth, the maybe overwhelm, perhaps there's fear, whatever those feelings were. I, what I imagine is that they interpret those when we feed them every time. And that could be the same as a two-year-old. They're feeling upset and we keep giving them, we keep thinking they're hungry and we keep giving them more food is they learn to interpret that sensation in their body as, oh, I'm hungry because that's the response I get. So it's a literally kind of a pairing of an internal sensation and an interpretation based on how we respond to them, yeah. which is why it can be so tricky sometimes when we are supporting our children when we get when we start to understand this more and we go oh my gosh actually when they're asking for cookies every time they fall over or um you know every time they get tired which is when upset feelings bubble but they, they want to eat is ah oh, we start to understand what we've done and we're trying to then disentangle those things so that they get that accurate sense of this is actually upset feelings it can be really tricky because they're literally almost creating new synaptic connections that these sensations in the body actually don't mean hunger. They actually mean a desire to cry and need to cry. Mm. So I think that can be really helpful if 
we perhaps we're going to talk about all the ways that we can respond we perhaps um say offer a loving limit i'm not willing for you to have any more of that sweetheart and i'm right here and i'm listening and i really hear that you want another cookie and i'm not willing for you to have any more sweetheart and, and i'm here and i'm listening is that they might have really big feelings no but i'm really hungry i want more cookies because literally that's what we have shown to them that's what they internalize so i think it'd be really helpful to hold that that's just the thing that i've come to so Mm. as i said it's not a leafless thing but i think it can help to realize the bigness of what we're doing we're literally rewiring and again we'll often do that as adults um i talked last time about rewiring uh, i didn't couldn't differentiate between hunger and tiredness every time i felt tired i would think i was hungry and i think a lot of people do because again in this culture what do we do when babies and children are upset in the evening we think they're hungry and they need to eat before they sleep so it's big but we can we can untangle those and actually correct let create the connect create the accurate relationship so that they know back to the question that they eat when they're hungry and when they're upset they know that their feelings are welcome that was a long answer i'd love to hear no 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 i i agree with you i, I just wanted to say too for those of you who are listening who perhaps have babies and you're like what hang on what what does this mean and you know because we're massive advocates of breastfeeding and meeting your baby's needs you know we did yeah. a um podcast babies part two um you know that you can go and have a listen to because we talk a lot more about it in there just differentiating between that hunger and listening to feelings and absolutely always meeting your child's needs first and i know that that can get lost in translation so i just want to remind everybody please go and listen to that because we are absolute big fans of yeah of course you've got to meet your child's needs and we're not saying don't feed them we're and like breastfeeding actually what we'd love to say and we did say it there is that actually if we listen to a baby's feelings as well breastfeeding can actually become even more enjoyable because they're mm. even more present and they're not mm. doing it well they're doing it less as a control pattern so that's it just becomes a more enjoyable experience and we both breastfed for a long period of time we love it we support yeah, it yeah. we're big yeah. fans so thank you and I, I think also too like I used to find before I knew we're parenting with my first two if they were upset and I tried to feed them they would suck a bit and then they'd arch their back and pull off and then suck a bit more and it was uncomfortable and it wasn't a relaxed baby feeding because they were hungry like it was it was really different but I would be furiously trying to feed them and then think something was wrong and sometimes and really I look back now and go oh they just needed to you know be heard and listened to and and then with my third when I started doing with her if she was upset and, and in the times where I was unsure, I would go to feed her and she would arch her back or pull off. And so then I would listen. And then after I'd listened to her feelings, then after then I would maybe offer to see if she wanted to drink and she would, and she would beautifully and she would be relaxed. And, you know, and that might've been half an hour later or an hour or whatever it was, whatever was going on. But it was, there was such a difference between when I was using it to try and stop the feelings and then when she'd expressed herself and then you know she was feeling you know she was actually either hungry or you know whatever was going on then so yeah it was beautiful to just see the differences within that um I'd love to, I'd love to say more I think this is so important um Aletha talks about this in the aware baby so if you have a baby and you'd really like to start to differentiate between when a baby's hungry and when they need to when your baby's hungry and they need to release she has a whole chapter on that and there's a whole section and um, we talk about that a lot. And if you want help from an aware parenting instructor, you know, there are really clear ways that we can observe a baby and aware parenting is all about observation. So it's not just about, I think this, it's about observing our baby or a child or a teen 
listening to ourselves, trying something out and then observing them again. And that babies, children, they really clearly show us things when we when we know what to look for and we know how to mm. understand what they're telling us. So that example is so beautiful, isn't it? And mm. and and again, why then when we differentiate out like this, breastfeeding can become even more enjoyable because we're, when we're feeding our baby and they're hungry, they're relaxed and they're enjoying it. We're making eye contact when they're having a cry in our arms, they're having a loving cry in our arms and it's powerful and incredibly intimate and touching. And there's much less of that. Yeah. The, either the on and the off or the falling asleep, or I know um, so many mums experience if breastfeeding is a big control pattern that the baby seems to be not really connected with them it's more like a, a thing to stop the feelings which mm -hmm. it does so it becomes less about a beautiful relationship between us and our baby and more about them trying to suppress their feelings so it actually can make it all much more wonderful although it's not mm. necessarily easy mm, that's true Yes, wonderful and not easy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, as we're learning. Because as we always talk about, we're, we bring our own story to it, what happened to us as a baby. Oh, there's so many pieces to it. So, yeah, be, be kind. Let's be compassionate again <laughs> to ourselves as we, as we do it. Now, that leads us into another beautiful question. Um, Can I go? I'm so sorry. I want to keep going yeah, back guys. to this question. So I'm going to go back and say, so how to guide young children to eat mm. for hunger rather than feelings is if we have given our child, if by the time they're young, we have breastfed them or, or bottle fed them to suppress feelings, which pretty much all of us will have done because we didn't, you know, this knowledge is fairly mm. new. Um, it's often a lot less about talking or thinky. I mean, it may be some about that. It may be asking them, sweetheart. I mean, I remember again um, with Lana when she was about three and if she was asking for food and I thought she was probably actually upset rather than hungry and I'd say uh, do you want food sweetheart or do you want a hug or do you want to tell me how you feel so of course it is about that but again it's so often about our response and that we can increasingly observe our child and there's often a really clear sign if they're eating or if they want food to suppress feelings is there's often a different quality about it and it's the same with any uh, suppression of feelings whether it's a screen or food or um, uh, you know just buying something or doing something there's a there's a quality of urgency about it and there's often like no but I really want ah! paradoxically hunger and this of course you're starving which is unlikely it, it has a different quality so we start to observe and again we're really observing our child and we're the ones who differentiate and by us getting clear and responding aptly that's one of the ways we do it so it's not just about a thinky thing it's about how we respond and we'll be talking about that whether we move in with attachment play whether we move in with loving limits um it's so much about our response to them just as it was mm. when they first learned is mm. this hunger or is this upset feelings mm. i love that you you spoke into that like that's just reminding me that my middle child always used to whine when she wanted a treat. Can I have a treat? Like it was always this whining quality that really I look back now and go, oh, she's just like the feelings were just, you know, they were bubbling on the surface there. And um, and she was just using that as that I don't want to feel these, so can you give me something sweet? And, you know, you're, you're so right. The quality that goes with it in the asking or what they're saying is something definitely to, to look for. 
Mm, yeah, great point. Okay, next question. Uh, I'd love to understand whether the open approach I've heard both Marion and Aletha talk about is effective if you know there are pent-up feelings driving some of the food preferences fussiness. Is it recommended to do lots of listening first or not worry about the feelings and always give maximum choice around food? It's a good question. I love that question. And mm. I want to say in terms of uh, what this questioner is asking about the approach um, is aware parenting is really based on trusting our children mm. and part of that is trusting that they know they know innately exactly what food they need they know when they're hungry or they would innately know if we responded and we clearly could read those things right from when they were little so often what happens is then those things get overridden by really the conditioning that we've given them so um in Aletha's books I think in the Aware Baby she talks about kids carrots and candy which is a book where you can, it's about really trusting children's food choices and when they eat and how they eat and all that. Um, but exactly as in this question, if uh, we have already given our children a control pattern that they have overridden, that overrides that natural innate um, knowing that they have. So in that case, it's not just going, yeah, sure, you know, have whatever you want, whenever you want it, because so often it will be, they will be eating from a control pattern. So then it's up to us, really, what we're doing is helping them regain that again, where not so often it was us that made them lose it. And again, without guilt or, or any kind of self-judgment, it's just we're actually helping them reconnect with that innate sense that they have. So, um, yes, listening touch and play loving them it's again it's about us observing the more we can clearly see are they asking for food because they're upset exactly as you were saying the more they can reclaim that again so it requires quite a lot from us to be you know really observant in that way yeah absolutely and I think I mean also on that point too of do we give them maximum choice around food um you know when I was in the thick of you know serving food for three children and a partner and I always used to think I'd hit the jackpot if I'd make something that everybody liked um but I would always give options and choices that everybody could choose what they wanted knowing that there was you know that's the meal perhaps I was cooking and that there were choices in there that I knew that everybody would have some of you know some didn't like spicy stuff you know if there was a phase there you know some didn't like eating meat some didn't like this some didn't like that so I would often always give choice within it but um I think what this listener is asking too is sometimes children can absolutely I only want to eat spaghetti right and I'm not eating anything else and um, there can be real resistance around that and as we talk about you know food is one of the few things children can control you know particularly if they're feeling very powerless food and toileting is one of the things that they can actually have control over so what we'd be looking for again, exactly as you said, Marion, is how much, how many feelings are there? Are they releasing them? Are they getting the opportunity to feel powerful in their own being? Do they have choice and autonomy around food or around other things in their life? It is, it is about kind of looking at the different layers of perhaps what's going on that may be contributing to them going, I'm only going to eat this. But there also is for some children, they only like particular foods, you know, and some children don't like certain textures and some children don't like different flavors. And that's so fine because we're all human and normal, um, you know, it's a really normal part of being human uh, I mean I, I was sharing with Marion before we started like my middle daughter she only wanted to eat white foods for a while so it's just rice and bread and 
chicken and just I could maybe get a bit of cucumber in her and and for a while there, as I look back now, I could see what was actually happening. She was trying to control what was going on with her food because we moved firstly from the breastfeeding control pattern to then the sugar one. And then we, I started, you know, moving the sugar stuff away. And then it was more just about those foods. And, and as I worked more with listening to her feelings and then we did lots more play around it and then she became more adventurous in her own time, in her own time to now be an adult where she eats everything. She's got a more, she's got a far broader palate than what I do, but that can often be a huge concern for a lot of parents is my children won't eat fruit or they won't eat vegetables or they won't eat this and I won't eat that. And I always come back to firstly, okay, so let's look at where in their life first they may be having some stuff where they don't feel like they have choice or perhaps there's some feelings there or can we work on all those beautiful foundation levels that we talk about first and then see what happens with food. Even, you know, sometimes sitting down to eat a meal feels stressful for children and particularly if they've got big bent-up feelings, if they've perhaps been at daycare or kinder or school all day and they've had a tricky day, it's very hard for children to sit at the table and eat because there's there could be a whole lot of feelings in the way and so do we need to help those move first? Or is there a whole lot of pressure when it comes to dinner time that we must eat together and you should eat what's on your plate or there's big feelings from mum or dad or whoever the adults are around, around food. Like there's all those things that can contribute to a child not wanting to feel comfortable, relaxed or eating freely. So I think it is really good to just be looking at, okay, what what else could be going on here? So yes, perhaps your child does have some sensitivities around food. How can we still give them choice and autonomy about what they're having? How do we not make it wrong? You know, I guess we can really subtly make it wrong if they don't eat that vegetable or don't eat that piece of fruit. Um, you know, where are we sitting in that? What can we do to again make sure our child feels as balanced as possible when they do eat and then give them choice and autonomy in that? That for me is one of the first steps that we can do to help it be a more enjoyable for everyone and b um, make sure our child feels powerful when it comes to eating food. Mm, I love that, Lael, and I'd love to share as well another example around the whole power and powerlessness thing is uh, with my son who uh, we listened to lots and lots of feelings, and so he was very um, present, and he was yeah a hugely wide range of food and really present and slow and just you know really it was like the this deep enjoyment of food and then um when his dad and i split up when he when he was four he went from that to an incredible powerlessness for him when you think about children often in those situations in so many situations where he felt really powerless so he was not only showing that in hitting and uh, headbutting but his food um choices dramatically reduced straight away to like really really reduced um, foods so again it was a really clear example for me yeah exactly if children feel really powerless that is one way that they're going to to try and actually feel powerful so. mm. one thing I wanted to name I really loved as well you talked about different children so for highly sensitive children it can also be a particular thing that they and then maybe don't like foods to be mixed together they want to actually be able to really taste each type or they don't want different text the different textures mixed up so they might really like food to be uh, you know different foods to be separate on a plate or they might like to choose from a from a selection in the middle of the table so again mm -hmm. for each child they're going to be different and um, the more we can support them in having choice and autonomy mm -hmm. the more likely they're going to be willing to to eat 
Mm. And also too, I mean, that's a beautiful segue we can just talk about for a minute around children that perhaps are resistant to eat or only want certain food to bring play. This is where attachment play can be so beautiful um, with dinner time. So getting your child to eat you or you pretending that you're scared of a carrot, you know, and them trying to make you eat it and you shrieking and then they're giggling. What we're going for is, you know, opportunities where there could be lots of laughter, where they are in control, where we can, you know, where we are powerless sometimes as in not we're powerless, but we are playing the ones that we're like, I don't like that or don't make me eat that. And then they make you eat it. Letting them feed you can be hilarious as well. And they might get it on your face and just taking the charge out of eating can be really, really powerful. I had a beautiful client who there was, you know, they had five, six kids and one of them, one of their children really didn't had some big feelings around food and just didn't hardly eat at all. And, um, and really there was a lot of stuff there around power. And, you know, I suggested to her, what if you had a food fight and he was in charge of the food, like the, the food fight, that was, he was the boss of it. And, you know, with any food that you're willing to spare. And she's like, yeah, we had this massive food fight and food went everywhere. And he actually ate more that night than he'd eaten in a long time. Because there was laughter, we took the charge out of it. He was in control. There's all those things that we often talk about in this podcast around helping our children, you know, feel powerful again to allow them to, to again, move into, you know, eating or move into ways that um, can feel more centered for them. Because it, it, like, like so many things, whether it's food, whether it's, um, needing to have a blanket, whether it's perhaps sucking thumb, whether it's something that they want to control or have, you know, it's so natural for children to sometimes look for those control patterns you know, to use and food is just one of them. Mm, I love that you brought in um, attachment play. And if you're new to this podcast, attachment play is one of the key elements of aware parenting. Aletha has a book on it and what it really does is to really... Um, facilitate and optimize a child's natural capacity to heal through laughter and through play children do it all the time they're always trying to do that and so laughter itself actually releases stress hormones from the body and play you know they play does all kinds of things it helps them learn it helps them process helps them release so um yeah it's a really powerful thing to do and i think often again so it's kind of the opposite of behaviorism you know I often talk about that bigger picture and behaviorism is that idea you know if your child's not doing what you want them to do then you then you make them do it either through a punishment or a, or a reward and uh, touch and play is really the opposite of that it's, it's saying you know if a child is behaving in ways that are challenging actually moving in with more connection and more fun and more laughter so often supports them in uh, releasing the feelings that are causing that behavior in the first place so we have we have podcasts on that attachment play as well if you want to go and uh, listen mm. to those yeah beautiful okay next twist question i'd love for you to discuss the theory and trust in a child eating a balanced diet for themselves and on the flip side witnessing them overeating and addressing this in a way without making them feel shameful I think mm. we've really addressed so much of that already. And it's mm. really just that that is our innate uh, physiology that we, we know, you know, we've lived for millennia eating in fitting our environment. Um, and I think it's really in terms of making it feel shameful is that it's never any, it's a similar thing. It's like if we were to go to a more behaviorist approach, we'd be telling the child, no, you're not hungry. So don't eat now. Or, you know, that kind of thing. And that isn't what it's about. It's actually us moving in in the relationship to either move in with, 
just connection and warmth and compassion or moving in with the touch and play or moving in with the loving limit so the difference between even subtle shaming or wrong making or you know you shouldn't either or have you had an you know haven't you had enough and even subtle ways we can just move in and say you know i'm not willing for you to have any more or you know if a child is just desperately wanting to go to the cupboard and it's clearly that they're upset and you know they've had plenty to eat and they're just desperately trying to find some way to suppress their feelings we might even just stand in front of the cupboard and say sweetheart I really I, I know you'd really love some more and I'm not willing for you to have any more right now and I'm right here and I'm listening and they might say no but I really want another one and just listen and listen and all those feelings that bubble up are the feelings that they were trying to squash down with eating and as we said before that we've really taught them to do so um there are ways that we can do it without you know shame or judgment being no part of it at all it's really mm. moving with love compassion touch and play or a loving limit mm. i think that's a beautiful point there it's so much about our energy isn't it yes. that we when we set that limit or we are playful or we offer them connection we're doing it from a place of not seeing that what they're doing is wrong and keeping your heart really open and and staying really open with our nose and just saying you know that's not what we're doing and just being able to sit in that space and really that, that just it's so much about our energy that we bring to it it really is and that I think is the difference then between them taking on a story of you know I'm wrong because I want to eat more food or my mum wouldn't let me have food or those kind of things because we are actually holding the container of that beautiful energy of what's sitting underneath mm. I love how you articulate that. It's so core, isn't it? And I think for that, we need to come back to our own, like the, the foundation of this paradigm and what the core beliefs about human beings and our innate um, desire to connect and cooperate and contribute and to really understand that. And also, of course, to have done our own inner work so that we can move in in that way, because we're not always going to be able to move in in that completely unconditionally loving present aware space where we've got hours to listen to feelings or do a touch and play but even if we do some of the time it can make a huge difference mm, yeah beautiful okay next question is every time my daughter feels stressed she wants sweets and food we now talk about those feelings but whenever she goes to her dad's he gives her food treats when she's brave or good how can i work with her through this i restrict her food but i feel guilty for doing this but if i don't she would eat and eat and eat she gets teased for being fat by other kids how do i deal with this what can i do to support her First of all, lots and lots of love and empathy to you. And I would say, um, if you haven't got an empathy buddy already, we have a there's a wonderful free um, Facebook group where you can come and connect in. Uh, there's also um, Carolina Valencia, is that her surname? Um, <laughs> never can pronounce it. Sorry, Carolina. She has a great Facebook group where you can actually connect in with an empathy buddy. So it can be really helpful to actually have someone to listen to your feelings or an aware parenting instructor or a counselor or therapist because I'm imagining seeing that happen at the, you know, the other house might have, some, you might have feelings. And the other thing is um, really attending to the guiltiness, you know, I'm passionate about getting free from guilt. Guilt is just a form of self-judgment. So it's really understanding, as we were saying, that you can move in with loving limits um, in a way that actually support the feelings. So basically anytime a child wants to eat to suppress feelings, if we can move in with attachment play, they can release the feelings through laughter. If you move in with the loving limit, they can release it through crying. Um, and then that's actually going to support even the, 
even if things are happening differently at the other house you can still do that you might also want to do some like role play kind of games so that might be playing little characters and there's a mummy and a daddy and then there's a child and perhaps bring some food in and see how to see what she plays because again children know how to heal they know how to heal um, we just need to provide the environment for them and support them with that process mm. i'd love to hear what you think now. yeah they're beautiful suggestions and i think it's it, this comes up a lot with sometimes with clients i work with of what happens in one house and then what happens in another and whether feelings are shut down or they're not allowed to have them and of course we can't control what happens at that other house but i often say but we can hold space for whatever comes when they come back and so even if you have mindfulness around that she wants to use food in this way and that your job perhaps is just to keep holding those beautiful loving limits to allow the feelings to come out because if she's having sweets at her dad's house then odds are she's probably just going to be pushing all those feelings down and perhaps your you know your your opportunity is that she can come and bring all those big feelings with you and like we talked about just before being it's our energy you know that we bring to that so to be I know you want something sweetie, but it's a no for now. And I'm going to listen and really working on holding space for those feelings can be just such a beautiful gift for her. So even if she is still doing it at her dad's, that's perhaps what she needs to just navigate being at her dad's. And then when she comes back, you know, she's, she knows that that's what she can bring at your place as well. Yeah. It's, it's very tricky when, when we witness our children having to do things in ways that we don't really like, but we feel a bit powerless about how that how that looks. It's really, really hard. And I love your suggestion about getting some listening time around that because that's super important for the parent. So yeah. You might also want to listen to our one last time if you haven't already, where we talk about the really importance if if our child's in an environment where there isn't um, the capacity or the understanding to listen to their feelings, control patterns are really important things. They, they suppress the feelings and they often keep them safe or protect them from being shamed. Or So again, if we can see that, that exactly as you said, Lau, that the wanting the sweets and the food is, mm. is the way to stop the feelings being expressed there and perhaps, mm. perhaps dad isn't able or, or willing to listen to feelings. So... If we can see it in that way, like, isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a wonderful mm-hmm. thing that she can do that yeah. there? And yeah. that she doesn't need to at home because yeah. at this home. Yeah. And I think too, just that part about being teased by other children, you know, that can be very challenging for all kids. It can be teased on all sorts of different things. And what we want to do is make it safe enough for her to tell you that. So when she comes home from school or from wherever she is at kinder or, and, um, and you can see that upset to keep creating enough safety for her to tell you how that feels. It must feel so hard when kids say that to you and tell me more. And, and, you know, our job is not to fix it. And, you know, our tendency can to be, Oh, but darling, you're perfect the way you are. And it doesn't matter. And we can really move into wanting to fix which so comes from such a beautiful, well-meaning place because we love them, but often the healing can come from just holding that space of like, yes, that sounds so hard. Tell me more and giving her the opportunity to cry and, and feel how upsetting it is can help to start shifting the feelings that are sitting there underneath. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. Mm. Okay. Um, Just how to navigate when your child asks for food, like chocolate lollies after they've just had a big cry or we're told they can't have something and seems they're not hungry, but just looking for comfort. Again, I would say the same thing, a loving limit. So with loving limits, the way I see loving limits, we can either 
offer the limit and then the empathy or we can offer the empathy and then the limit. So with food, I would often say that. So I would say if they've just had a big cry and then they're mm -hmm. asking for chocolate or sweets or lollies, it probably means that there's still some more feelings there. <laughs> like, yeah, I've done now. <laughs> can I have, have a treat now? <laughs> and of course, you know, if we don't have any much more listening juice in us, then of course we might say yes. Or we might just say, sweetheart, I really hear that you like some chocolate. And I'm not wanting for you to have any right now. And I'm right here and I'm listening. Again, the same thing if you, they've been told we're not willing for them to have something and they, they really want that. Just a loving limit, the power of loving limits. We've also got an episode on that. I'm sure we have. Do we have? We do, don't we? Yeah. Loving yeah. limits, so powerful. We can say no. We're a loving limit, we're saying no to behavior and we're saying yes to the underlying feelings causing the behavior. And it's just like such a miraculous, wonderful thing that we can do. We can say no and it can be the most loving and wonderful thing because we're then listening the feelings that are actually causing that yeah um this you know this next question which actually just talks more about treats um getting the balance of the treat type foods right without making it a huge deal when they have them so not to go stuff themselves sick you know so basically you can have access to it but they don't binge it so for me personally what i have found with this is once i learned a little bit more about feelings and control patterns and food and all that kind of stuff i actually there was access for my kids to they, they could have access to all the food so they knew in the fridge there was cut up carrots and cucumbers and celery that they could get even the little ones there was also you know yogurt stuff there there was also like little treats if there was and so i my my job or what I would look at is I want to make sure each day that they're feeling connected, that they're moving their feelings. And when that was kind of my priority on some level, really just about holding space for them, they would go and eat really when they were hungry and they would sometimes choose a treat, but they would often choose healthier foods first or they'd have a tiny bit of a treat and still choose healthy as well. And so when we're talking about the balance, I think it ties into everything that we've been saying here is that when kids aren't you know carrying a whole lot of story or they're, they're not feeling you know um God, i'm finding it hard to talk today they're not, they're not they haven't got a whole lot of feelings on board um you know they're more likely to be able to just have a little bit and that feels okay you know they can find that beautiful center point for them where they're able to to choose and not want to binge. Whereas again, as we're saying, when there is a lot of feelings there, they're more likely to want to go for those sweet things. And for some children, food is not the control pattern. For some, it might be technology. That's a really good thing to just remember. Like for some kids, you could have all the treats and food out there and it's like, whatever. And, but they're really like, can I have the iPad? Can I have the iPad? Like that's what they want. So it, this is, um, yeah, each child is different and unique. And I think it's being able to tune into your child and see where they are and see what is it that how are they today are they are they feeling in balance are they asking for more stuff you know do i need to set a limit as we've talked about can i be playful around it but i found over time i always gave my children choice and and really my priority was to help them feel in balance as much as possible and it never really became a huge issue apart from when they became teenagers and then they had all these amazing hormonal things and all of a sudden they were like give me all the carbs and sugar we can get and i'd be like really and part of them would be like yeah it doesn't 
I don't, part of them, they'd been, I would watch them do this dance between, I just want to because that's what I do with my friends. I'm hanging out and I'm eating this. And then they'd come home and go, can you make me a salad? <laughs> so there was this one foot in each camp, which was kind of cute. And I was like, you're old enough to know like where that sits for you, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I trust you to, to figure that out. And by that time they did and, and they could, you know, so, but yeah, when, when your kids are little, it can definitely, um, it can feel a little more challenging and really trusting that journey for them to, to choose what it is that feels good for them. Mm, I'd love to share a couple of stories. One is um, for a while we, I, I really enjoyed, we had a shelf for each person in the fridge. So each person, when we go out shopping, I would, they would choose what they wanted and I'd prepare it. And if it was like all the veggies, I'd prepare them and put them in all glass Tupperware type things. And so they would go whenever they wanted to. And that was so, I really enjoyed that phase. Um, the other thing I'm remembering is when I, when I was in my mid twenties, I had a friend who had a child and they were forbidden to have any sugar, but the parents would have sugar. So we'd go out you know, to a cafe or a restaurant and everyone would be having this delicious pudding and the child was not um, uh, allowed in inverted commas to have that. And what they ended up doing is they'd go, they'd be looked after by someone else. And I remember them literally, they would go in the cupboard of this other friend and they would get the, like they had white sugar cubes back in the day. I don't know if even those exist anymore. And they, they were literally, just crave and want to eat sugar so I think the thing is to also remember is I think it's really helpful that whatever we have in the house is uh, you know to that they get the same access to food if they see us eating stuff and that we're not willing for them to have that can create a real thing around you know or if we say you can have the sweet thing after the savory thing we know the all the research on rewards that actually means that they're less likely to enjoy the thing that they need to have in order to have the sweet thing so again to really to actually understand some of those things that um, can set up the opposite of what we are wanting so i think for each family it's us deciding isn't it that what we are what we are willing to have inside the home and then whatever it is that we're willing to have inside the home to to really trust them to have those things apart from of course if you know the previous bit we talked about around control patterns Mm, mm. yeah and look we still live in a society like we have another question here about birthday parties and kids just hoarding the table and stuffing themselves with sweets and just then the parents scolding them and saying don't say too much and all those kind of things like and the question here is how to successfully communicate the knowledge and reason for guidance towards healthy eating and marginal balanced sweets it seems like the majority of parents are trying at three or four only to instill healthy eating which proves difficult as the habits are formed already um you know i think like we've touched on too, we don't want to make sweets and sugar and treats bad or wrong. They're not. They're just another thing. And as as we've talked about, when we when our kids are feeling more imbalanced, when they are feeling connected to themselves, they can have some, but there doesn't have a charge around it. But our culture is still one that often rewards through sugar, <laughs> rewards through treats. You can have a lollipop when you go, not when you go to the dentist. Where is it? When you go to the no, doctor. There are. So I remember that. some dentists were like, yeah. <laughs> In fact, like I'd love to tell a little story here. I'm totally off tangent, but I remember after I used to go to the dentist as a child, um, my mum would take me out for a donut afterwards. And I was, I've had therapy sessions on that. And then, <laughs> and then more recently I took, I can't remember one of them, one of my lovelies to the dentist. And afterwards I was like, oh, would you, should we go and get something? They're like, yeah, can we go get 
a donut and I was like no <laughs> oh it's so funny isn't it like I think we still as a culture we use food as a reward you do something brave you'll get this you get an ice cream you get this and I think the way I see it is that we don't you know let's just normalize it like some days I'm like well especially through lockdown because it's been really tough here where I've been living and when haven't been able to go anywhere. There's days where I'm looking at my, you know, daughter and we're all just sitting there going, oh, this feels really hard. And I'm like, we all need ice cream. Let's go get ice cream. Not so much as the reward and there's no reason for it, but just let's go do something that feels fun and enjoyable and we eat ice cream and, you know, we laugh and it's good. And it's a, it doesn't need to be a thing. Um, you know, it doesn't feel as exciting. Let's go eat carrots. <laughs> it was kind of, we still, I mean, I still hear, you know, that we, we want to use stuff as reward. I mean, that's what our culture says. We use it as rewards. But I think, again, the energy we bring to it is it's just another thing and it's, you know, our relationship to it. And, of course, we want to teach our children healthy eating, but we do that by modelling it. What do we have in our home? How do we feel about the food we put in our bodies? Do we criticise the way we look or our weight or all those kind of things? They all of, Our children are watching constantly. So they learn about food and healthy eating by watching what we do. You know, I mean, you could even, for kids for young age, you can talk about all the mass amazing things that food does for us. This is what carrots do for you. And, you know, if you eat spinach, this is what this does in your body and this is what protein is. And you can talk about all these amazing things and children learn about that to, to you know, to Im- embed that understanding around food and how powerful and how amazing it is and also how delicious it can be and how fabulous it is. Sometimes the sweet things are the most amazing and sometimes this is the most amazing and so much of it, again, is our energy that we bring to it. Yeah, I love what you're saying. It really comes back to remember those three things at the beginning that we talked about. I'm doing a triangle, if you're listening, um, about the pleasure part is the more we have reclaimed actually pleasure with food and we really enjoy it, um, the more we can actually embody that and we have that felt sense in our family environment, which also can mean like I know baby led weaning is really often really popular with people in the aware parenting community. You know, we can make food beautiful. We can, you know, I know when my kids were younger, we'd have the plates, you know, with the faces and and shaping the food to make it fun. So there are ways that we can have, you know, absolute pleasure. And food can be such a connect, connecting, pleasurable, fun thing. And often, as I talked about last time, is the antidote to, to uh, suppression or a control pattern is connection. So at any moment, if, if food is a control pattern, bringing in fun and warmth and connection can often flip it around entirely. So that's a really powerful thing that we have uh, at our fingertips. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, there was just one more question we had here about struggle with encouraging good eating habits with a world that wants to shove a cookie or candy in my toddler's hand, which is what we were just touching on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes she's given things before I can even say no and they don't ask. I don't know how to handle these situations. We only eat a model whole food diet at home in an effort to cult- cultivate a healthy microbiome and gut health, but people won't quit throwing junk at my kid. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hearing that because, again, it's just like this is what society does. Um, the holidays are coming up up now we have a Halloween event how are we supposed to deal with all the unhealthy that everyone feels is is their right to feed my child Mm. I'd love to say two things here number one we still get to advocate so there are certain things that we might have a really clear strong no in our in our body for that we're not winning for our child to have so I know for me when my kids were little I actually wasn't winning for them to have like particular artificial flavorings and colorings because I really knew that they had a big 
impact. So we didn't really do Halloween, but when they were a bit older, I would actually say a few of the things I was like, I'd love to swap it for something that's just slightly more, it was still a, a sweetie or a lolly, but or chocolate, but it was just like a slightly healthier or organic or, you know, just a bit less. So I think it's not saying it's, we still get to be the parent, we still get to advocate, we still get to, you know, really stand in what we, what we stand in. Um, and I think that can be really helpful as well is to actually connect in before we're with our child, maybe at Halloween, perhaps if you're listening to this now, perfect timing, just a few, a few days. Do you want to connect in with what? Yeah. Is there something that you really have a no for for them? Or actually, you know, sometimes also it can be like just, you know, for one day that you feel really comfortable just on occasional times and just have anything and really trust that their bodies can handle it and they can process it. Mm. But I think it's really important for us as parents to get clear about what that is before we're then having the, the discussion with our child especially if they're young if they're older we can perhaps have more of a two-way discussion about it but yeah and and you know that is I mean this also applies not just to food but you know the way we talk to children or the way we tell them they're good boys or good girls or we'll tell them you know if they do this they'll get that like our culture just if that's that's the kind of mainstream conversation and it is challenging to learn how to speak up as you say for our kids or to find language that sits okay with us just to say oh I'm not willing for her to have that or we do it a bit differently here or you know it's it can be really challenging as a parent to find the languaging that feels right for you in in how you how you hold that with others it's tricky yeah I love it. I'm not willing. Mm. <laughs> I'm not willing. It's always a really helpful one. Thank you. And also we can say thank you so much. I really appreciate you. So, you know, that's so, you know, all the things. So offering appreciation to the other adult. And, you know, we found that isn't very helpful for them or, you know, mm. they have a headache afterwards. So we'd love mm. to offer them something else instead or mm. it's in-laws or or grandparents to, mm. to communicate that as well. It can be really tricky. It can be really tricky. Lots of empathy. We're back to full circle to compassion. Lots of compassion. <laughs> totally, totally. And look, you know, my I'm just thinking about my kids. My oldest is um he loves, he just has always been from the moment he was little, loves food. He just he's got such a passion for food. He's a real Tory and he just his love language is food. Like he he I remember when he went on exchange when he was 15 to France and he saved up all his money so he could go and have good baguettes with with French cheese. All these other kids were going places. He's like, no, no, I'm going to a restaurant. Like he loves food. And um and really appreciates it and just, you know, he's, he takes a lot of time and beautiful preparation. Like he's a real, you know, he, he gets so much pleasure out of it. And and then, as I said, in my middle child, I only eat white food. Right? I didn't want that. The third one probably is a bit more balanced across both. But I remember when they were younger and they would go to my in-laws and my beautiful mother-in-law who's Hungarian and she'd make all these amazing Hungarian foods, but everything that she would get was so loaded with sugar, particularly sweets. Like she'd give them a bowl of strawberries and pour sugar on top. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, and I remember feeling a bit horrified, but I learned to actually let go because I go, that's just every so often. And there was this beautiful, my kids still talk about it. I think I said this in the other podcast, nanny's cooking, like there's something nostalgic and beautiful in it around what that represented as a family. And it was challenging for me in the beginning. And then I learned to let go because I actually just went, this isn't every day and this is okay. And I know there's more balance in, in perhaps our house around those things and that's okay. And, you know, and, and it did teach me to pull back a little bit, but I also really do 
here and respect that if our kids are being fed stuff, particularly when they're little and it's not great, you know, as you were saying, it's really important to advocate for what we want for our children. I mean, the flip side of that too, like my, I really saw when I had my first child, he would not eat sugar until, you know, he was two, he was never going to be in front of his television. Like I was really, really clear. Like I had really strong ideas of what happened. And by the time my third child came along, I remember walking in to the lounge room one day and there's a video on like the kids have something on and they're shoving, my kids are shoving like a, a treat in the four month old mouth. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember just laughing. Cause I was like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I've let go of my expectations on some level because I also know that they will grow up and and I will deal with whatever comes and they are quite robust and, you know, they often say that about sometimes with our beautiful first children, we're pretty hypersensitive and, and we're just protective and we want to do it a certain way and by the time, you know, your third comes along, you're like, oh, they're so crazy because they've just got to fit in with the rest of the family and all the things that happened way before the others did just because the older brother and sister are dragging them along to every thing so I think I remember when sit her up so she doesn't choke <laughs> just almost guy ah, we'll be right so I think you've got to have a dose also of just compassion and humility in it and also just be like oh we we all are coming from a beautiful place of wanting the best and um and then sometimes you know we have to let go and go okay that's how that was then that's okay we'll we'll you know we're learning from that Oh my God. Yeah. We, we, st- we start off very idealistic, don't we? And I think there's something beautiful about the idealism and then there's something beautiful as we get more, again, it's mm-hmm. more trust, isn't it? In that the, the healing process. I'm also mm-hmm. remembering when, when my daughter was two and she was offered a, was it a chopper chop, those things or the mm-hmm. things on the sticks. And I was, I was so, I wasn't there and she'd been offered it and she'd taken, I was so upset. I remember just crying and being just devastated that she had mm-hmm. that one thing that, know over time we get to to trust that yeah they're they're gonna be fine with the occasional thing here and there they really they They are yeah because the because we have to come back to what we are doing most of the time is the foundation and so those things that may be not 100% what we want but they happen every so often are also okay they're robust you know it's not going to you know, we can we can have our own fears and projections of what that's going to mean. And um, sometimes, yeah, and look, I know that comes sometimes just with being a parent for a long time and then just seeing, you know, as they grow and and actually how resilient kids are and what we can navigate. And, yeah, so, so I think always, again, compassion for where we are in that journey. And I look at my third child who is the most robust of all of them <laughs> Because she had to, she was just got dragged around and had to sleep anywhere and got, you know, food shoved in her mouth and she probably didn't want it. Like, and yet I did aware parenting with her, you know, from the beginning, really, and all the listening and all the kind of stuff. And I I see the Im- impact of all all those influences actually, which are really, really rich. So yeah. Oh, I did want to say as well, you talked about robust, and I do want to say we didn't really name it here, but also to acknowledge, you know, of course, for some children, some children do have food intolerances, they do maybe have disabilities or different abilities or uh, different neuro atypicalness or all kinds of things. So we're, no apologies if you haven't had that sense of your child being included here. So of course, every child is unique and we need to take into account all of the things that are happening for them. So for mm. certain children, it is going to be more, you know, we will 
be varying more on loving limits and um, I've worked with parents over the years who've had um, children with perhaps food intolerance and things and attachment play again can be really helpful particularly power reversal games so if children are needing to have medicines or they're not getting to have things that they are that other children are having um and lots of attachment plays so powerful and important so yeah mm. sending even extra special love to you if you mm. child's in that position yeah absolutely that's beautiful that's beautiful and look as we've talked about today food is a huge topic and it, it has we can have a lot of feelings for ourselves as adults it can as we talked in our last, last podcast what we were taught when we were younger what our imprints were around it and then of course our beautiful children you know what they come in with and what's their story so th- there's a lot to it so you know, be be gentle, and if if it does feel like a big thing, that's where we really suggest you know getting support from an aware parenting instructor or a counselor or someone who can listen to your feelings around it. Because the more that we can lean into our feelings and our thoughts and beliefs around it, the more capacity we have, or we open up for healing. You know, with our children around it. So, yeah, it's a big topic. Mm. Yes. Anything else you want to add? What's your offering, Marion? Oh, well, I was going to say, do you have a do you have an invitation or question or inquiry prompt? Um, how could you make food more fun? That's what I would love to say. How could we how could we make sure that we bring pleasure and fun into food? What could you do for yourself or for your children or your family? What would what would that look like? Mm, I love that so much. Mine's is, um, is there a particular food that your child really enjoys? And it's actually not not so much a control pattern, but like really they have so much pleasure in having it. And are you willing to have that with them over the next few days and to really savour it and enjoy it and talk about it beforehand and, and just really enjoy it together? Wow, that makes me want to go eat a mango. Like- <laughs> Mangoes are just so juicy and and beautiful. I'm like, oh, I want to get eat a mango. (laughs) Like, amazing. On hot days when it's like so juicy and yummy. Mm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And offerings, offerings, offerings. What have you got at the moment, lovely Leia? Um, just, just what have I got at the moment? Have you, have you started your immersion yet? Yes, we're we're halfway through, almost halfway through. You missed the immersion. Are you halfway through already? Oh, we're at week three now. That's not. We're getting there. Um, yeah, yeah, no, there won't be another one till next year, probably February. But um, I just have my couples course, which is just you know the. The, the basics and the understanding of aware parenting and um, how how that turns up for you as a couple and and you know just your different stories that you come with to parenting and and yeah how you can work together as a team so that's that's my online offering what about you Marion you've got a few beautiful specials or deals at the moment don't you yeah I've got my seven year sale at the moment so come and check out I'm gonna I've got things on sale every day pretty much uh, my touch and play course has got games in around food and the other thing I'd Another one I'd recommend is the Aware Parenting Babies course that Helen Mooney and I have. She's also an Aware Parenting instructor. That will be coming up on sale in future days if you're listening to this at the end of October uh, 2021. So, yes. Yes, beautiful. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for being here again. And as always, if you have something you'd like us to talk about, please send us a message through Instagram or Facebook um, and let us know if there's something you'd love us to discuss because you know we love responding to your questions and what it is that is going to help and serve you to you know be the parent you want to be Mm. 
Thank you so much for listening and so much love to you. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.